Thank you for listening to this week's Freedom Church podcast. We hope it helps and inspires you. Again, as we carry on with our teaching on the battle for your mind. Uh, just a quick recap, the last couple of weeks, we, we first we talked about the function of the mind, the mind being an amazing, um, you know, the way we can think, that our mind is an amazing kind of organism, benefits to our body, gets us to think differently. We talked about Romans 12, how we, our mind can be transformed and it changes the way we think. Let God transform your mind. And then last time we got to go, oh no, I also talked about your life is heading in the direction of your strongest thought. Your desire has great control over what you do. And then last week we talked about taking back control. How do we take every thought captives from uh, the verse there from 2 Corinthians 10? How do we take every thought, like that train of thought going flying past, which one do we jump on and which one do we let go straight by and we say no thank you? So that was the first couple of weeks. And uh, I know that we've heard lots of comments and thank you so much for the feedback. And we've got some more to come today. When I finished speaking last week, I said something along these lines. I said that if you can take control of your mind, your ability to take every thought captive will affect your life, the trajectory of your life. I said it will also affect those closest to you, your family, your friends, your colleagues, and it will make a difference to the next generation, which I thought was quite a brave statement, that the way you think could change the next generation's behaviour and thought life. And then this week, I was reading the book by Dr Caroline Leaf, who's a scientist, a neuroscientist, and she said that scientists have proven that your thought life changes your DNA and it will literally change the thought life of not just the next generation, it's scientifically proven the next four generations will benefit through the, wait for it, a little bit clever here, the epigenetic signal. Don't do it now, but you can Google it. It's real thing. For you, the way you think will affect not just the next generation, but your great-grandkids. Wow. That's already, your mind is blown. Or just my mind is blown. But that's incredible, isn't it? Anyway, so hope you got a little bit of a recap for you. Let's crack on with this week. To win the battle of the mind, said Selwyn Hughes, is to win in one of the greatest areas of your life. It is said that no real change can take place until a person's thinking is changed. That is the challenge for all of us. The mind is always the start of any action or reaction. What am I going to do about what I'm facing right now begins in our minds. The thoughts you have will shape the life you live. Our thought life is so important. And this week, I want to talk particularly, we changed tack a little bit, I wasn't going to do this, but I want to talk about saying no to negativity saying no to negativity. There's a double negative right at the beginning there. And I want us to be people that say no to negativity. But I want to start with a bit of a confession. Because if I try and do this as a, yeah, let's all be positive and smile all the time, you're like, seriously, Sim? The truth is, and, and I often have people say to me, Sim, you're always so, so happy and so smiling. Is that really what you're like all the time? Unfortunately, no. Aww. I know. I'd like to tell you that it's true and I just get out of bed in the morning and I'm all smiling. In fact, to be honest, normally in the mornings I am pretty good. But my family will tell you a different story. They will tell you the story that when I come home from work at the end of the day and I walk in the front hall and shoes. Really? There are shoes everywhere. It's like a sea of shoes. I mean, we have got six people in our family, that's true, but there are a lot of shoes. And I'm like, wow, how does that work? And I'm walking through the hallway, and as I walk through the sea of shoes, I come across the TV that's on 
and nobody's watching it, <laughs> all right? And I can just feel it kind of getting a little bit, really? And I walk into the kitchen and there is our dishwasher, beautifully empty. <laughs> and all the stuff on top of the dishwasher. It's not in the dishwasher, children, it's near the dishwasher. And we've had this conversation, I've said it before in various preachers, I know. And then my gorgeous wife will come and say, ah, oh, great to see you. And she will have a beautiful new outfit on. And there's a moment, gentlemen, there's a moment <laughs> where do I say, wow, you look amazing, or do I say, how much did that cost? <laughs> and I'm still learning to go, wow, before how, and I know that I have the ability to go into a negative spiral. I've got the ability that if things go wrong, suddenly everything changes. The way my day can unravel can be affected by my first few thoughts of the day. The root cause of our negative thinking is our mind. The devil, it says in John chapter 8, is the father of all lies. He is always whispering in our ears. When he lies, it says here, it's consistent with his character, for he is a liar and a father of lies. And he wants to twist your thinking and affect you. He wants subtle lies, they're not obvious lies, like Elvis is alive and wants to come and have a cup of tea with you, that kind of lie. These are like subtle lies that just make you think, yeah, maybe that is true and he wants to captivate us imprison us which we talked about a bit last week so i want today to challenge myself and all of us in our negativity and our moodiness and grumpiness you know there's nothing wrong with expressing your emotion but when all you're doing is transferring your bad day onto someone else that's not acceptable and I know that nobody wakes up in the morning and thinks, I want to be a fun sucker in the office today. <laughs> that I want to take all the positive activity out of the room and ruin people's day. I know that sometimes negative people say, I'm just being realistic. Or they'll say, I'm just, you know, there's almost catastrophizing. I'm thinking the worst possible things because it's almost like this mindset, if you don't expect anything good to happen, then you'll never be surprised. And there's a kind of a mindset of protecting yourself and being disappointed by thinking the worst. And I know that no one wakes up and thinks, I want to be negative today. But you go to the fridge and there's no milk or there's no coffee and suddenly the day goes badly wrong and there's loads of traffic and by the time you get to the office, wherever you work, and it's just like negativity is like this downward spiral. Yet the truth is, for most people, most of your life is actually pretty good. Life works. There's lots of really good things taking place. You're paying your bills, you've got a good family, you've got good relationships, you enjoy, you know, the food on your table and you're really doing really well. And the small things kick us out of control. It's never our life is terrible, our life is predominantly good with a few things that we get into our mind and suddenly we go into a negative spin. Those small thoughts, we've talked about this, create neural pathways that form habits and eventually cognitive bias towards assuming that what has happened without knowing all the facts. We think what people are gonna say because we've already assumed what they're gonna say because we got to know them a bit and we just fill in the blanks the bits we didn't know. We think the reason they were late for that meeting and we think what it must have happened. We assume about other people's behaviour. But life for most people is actually pretty good, but we let the small things twist our thinking and damage our day. Now, I want to spend a couple of moments today doing a little bit of, uh, bit of some psychology. It's a dangerous game, but we're going to just do a little bit of it because I think it will help us in our understanding. Because all of us have that cognitive bias that I talked about. And maybe one way to think about it, the way the psychologists talk about it, is that each one of us has a filter. We have a filter on the way that we see things, the lenses 
we wear affect how we see what is around us. And you may be experiencing things differently to the person next to you. So, for instance, I have my glasses on at the moment. They are clear lenses, and I can see this beautiful uh, audience we have here in the studio. A uh, congregation, I got told off calling it an audience. It's a congregation. And I don't get to see the rest of you in locations, but I can see clearly. But I also have my spare pair of glasses that really are my summer sunglasses. And these have a yellow tint on them. Now, everybody looks yellow. Everyone in the room looks a little bit unwell at this point. Now, I can tell you the world looks yellow because of what I'm seeing through these lenses. But somebody else with a different pair of lenses will say, no, I'm seeing different colours to what you're seeing. And we all come into life, we look at life through various experiences and we see things through a different lens. We have a different filter than other people. And, and scientists tell us there are things called generalisations deletions and distortions. You can Google this up later on, but let me give you a quick whiz through. Um, these, these filters we put on, they change the way we see things. And we all do this all the time without even realising it. So a generalisation would be something like, um, this always happens. It always goes wrong. That person always behaves that way. Teenagers always are on their phones. And let's be honest, it's not just teenagers. <laughs> But we make those generalised statements and we just go, that's always the case. And a deletion is the things you decided not to see. They happened, but you literally delete them from your mindset. So when you see a teenager not on their phone, you delete that piece of information because that isn't how you want to see the world. And we delete things that actually we've seen them and chosen not to store them up. And then the third bit, the distortions. This is how we get affected uh, by seeing the world around us, maybe by our upbringing or by a traumatic experience. Uh, for instance, uh, maybe when you were growing up, your parents said to you, having too much money or being excessive, having too much belongings is, is unnecessary. And, and they almost dismissed the importance or value of wealth. And they just said, well, you know, you don't be like that. And now you've grown up and you find yourself with money and with, with you know, resources and with a nice home and you feel uncomfortable about that. You feel guilty because of how you were brought up and you've distorted the benefit that can come with wealth because of how you... Does that make sense, how you are brought up? Or maybe, even more tragic, maybe you've been in uh, abusive relationships and you've found... And been in relationships where men have been abusive to you and therefore you create a story through the lenses you wear that says, all men are abusive. And that, that is such a story that can easily be replicated over and over again. But the truth is, these lenses, they become ingrained. They become so much part of your thinking, you don't even know whether you are wearing yellow glasses or red glasses or green or whether you can see like the person next to you. Because the filters become part of your character, part of who you are over years. They become your blind spot. And the problem with blind spots, you can't see them. You don't know you have them. You assume everyone sees the world like you do. Now, let's bring some Bible into this before you get too carried away and start kind of emailing the church office. Um, <laughs> if you go to Numbers 13, and Numbers 13 and 14 is a fascinating story where Moses has taken the people of Israel. After hundreds of years of slavery, he's rescued them from the Egyptian army and from Pharaoh through a bunch of miracles, takes them out through the Red Sea, and there they are in the wilderness on the way to the Promised Land. And they're on the border of the promised land. And Moses gets all the people to camp and says, right, let's send in some spies. 
one from each tribe, 12 spies, and let's find out what the lay of the land is. And can we take this place? Could we take the promised land that God has promised to us? And some of you know the story, the 12 spies go in, they see this incredible land, it says flowing with milk and honey, which is a weird thought if you think about it. <laughs> Who's ever seen a land flowing with milk and honey? That's a waste of milk and honey. But they came back with that expression and huge like clumps of grapes, massive grapes. They carried them back on big sticks and said, look what this place is like. It's amazing. They come back. But 10 of the 12 said to Moses, we will never be able to take them. They are like giants. There's a generalisation. They're all huge. It's never true, is it? Everybody is huge. And then the deletion comes into play. Yeah, sure, it's flowing milk and honey, but it's not that great. Listen, you're eating manna every day and quails. Th that land is full of really good food and you just deleted all that information and said, no, I'd rather stay with what we know than risk what might be. And then the distortion. In verse 33, they say, we are just like grasshoppers and they add to it this and that's what they think too they are they are assuming what other people are thinking about them that these people are like giants there's nothing of value in the land we've dismissed all that value and they think we're really insignificant but two of them the, the ones we remember Caleb and Joshua went Woo! we reckon we could take them we reckon we could have our way. We reckon our God is bigger than their God. We reckon our God can take us all the way to the promised land. We can overcome the giants. But the two of them were outnumbered by the 10 of them. And instead of taking the promised land at that moment like they could have done, they decided to go back and wander around the wilderness for a further 40 years. A whole generation missed out because of 10 negative speaking individuals. Imagine the, the children that missed out the opportunity to grow up in the promised land because they didn't trust in God in that place. Our negativity, our negative speak doesn't just affect our mind. When it becomes verbalised, it affects the people around us. You can change someone else's future by the words you speak, both positive and negative. So filtering is one thing we all do. We look at the world through different lenses. And the last piece of this would be about framing that we frame things. The angle you choose to see it from, it's a perspective. And how do you frame the world you see? If, if filter is what you see, then framing is how you see it. Um, let me give you some examples. So you could have two sets of facts, two um, sort of situations and two different perspectives or two angles or two ways of framing that piece of information. Over the years, I've sat with people who have gone through redundancy. And I've, I've had pastoral meetings with people who are just going, I've just lost my job, what do I do? Some of those people have said to me, this is the best thing that's ever happened. I was so desperate to get out of my job. I've now got some finances and I can now do what I really want to do. I could set up that business I talked about doing. I could change my career and get retrained. In fact, even yesterday, somebody was telling me this very story. They'd been made redundant after 22 years serving one particular uh, organisation and they said it was the best thing that's ever happened. They were excited by the new opportunity. But I've also sat with people who said to me, I've got made redundant again. And I know it's going to happen again because I'm just not very good and every job I go to ends the same way. And two people have two different responses. They framed it differently from what's happened to them. Two very similar circumstances, two very different views. Or people that are new to church. 
People are new here at Freedom Church. If you're new today, you're really welcome. But I know some people come into church and they can sit there and they can look around them and go, God, that welcome on the door was so over the top. It's so annoying. And they're there, the arms folded. Don't laugh. Some people actually think this. I've got a very positive studio team today. And they'll be like, going, oh, really, the songs we're singing? I mean, what's all this about? I mean, you know, terrible. And they're all, their arms folded. And the whole thing, Christians are such hypocrites. They're all smiling. But you watch. I bet on Monday they're as miserable as anything. And that's their story. Next to them, literally next to them, could be someone going, wow, I've never felt so loved. The welcome was amazing. They made me feel really special and valued. And I've just encountered God through the worship and it's just it's set me up for the week so beautifully. Two people are having the same experience, but through their thinking, framing it completely different. And then we could get political. We could talk about vaccines, couldn't we? We could how, how the, the information on the internet, some people go, it's the best invention ever created. Why wouldn't you go and get a jab and get a booster and get this and the rest of it? Why wouldn't you wear a mask? And then the other people going, I've looked at all the news. There's a chip in it and Bill Gates will control your every thought in the future. And there's those two extremes out there with the same pieces of information. It's incredible how polarised we become in our thinking. And presently, it feels like there is always only two angles of thought. And there is always polar opposites, which I've just said that statement, which is a complete generalisation. There isn't just two thoughts. There's multiple ways of thinking about things. There are never just two polar opposites. There's nuance upon nuance. And there is so much more. You cannot control what happens to you, but you can control how you see it. Yeah and how you respond to what you see and how you frame it. And I know that we still, as, as human beings, we think, oh, well, I'll, I'll control my outcomes. I can fix this. Some of you will be, have, have studied hard. You'll have got yourself through education. You'll have got yourself a degree. You'll have had a career path in mind. And you find yourself today doing a job you're overqualified for in a field you never planned to end up in. You thought you could fix it by your efforts and you've ended up somewhere you didn't want to be. Or maybe you, you dreamed of, of, of being in a great marriage and you kept yourself pure and you prepared yourself and you, you ended up the person, your love of your life and years later, for whatever reason, it didn't work out and you end up divorced and you're sitting here going, this is not what I had hoped to end up doing. I worked hard to achieve an outcome that hasn't worked as I thought. Or maybe you saved carefully, you invested wisely, but through no fault of your own, you're sitting there today going, I haven't got the resource I hope to have at this stage of my life. Life has not turned out as I expected. And suddenly you think, this is not easy. It's very it's easy for you to seem to say, oh, well, let's be positive and say no to negativity, but my life circumstances are not as I expect them to be at this point in my life. Let me point you to the Apostle Paul an incredible character who studied hard. He knew his scriptures. He knew his Torah. He had studied with great Jewish uh, rabbis. And then he has an encounter with Jesus on the Damascus Road. Some of you will know the story, how Paul goes from Saul, as he was called, you know, uh, trying to fight the early church and trying to arrest Christians and ends up following Jesus and following his way and becoming one of the most famous Christians of the early church as he, writ he wrote numerous letters to the early church. And in Acts 28, Paul is arrested and he is taken to prison in Rome. And he's in Rome, he's in house arrest there for, they reckon, at least two years before he even gets a trial. 
and he's in Rome, he's under house arrest, and he has had it pretty bad. He is, it's all gone wrong. Um, he ended up a shipwreck, ended up in Malta, then got bitten by a snake, and he ended up in a prison again. Um, he, you know, he got beaten numerous times. He had to escape from people, uh, crowds running after him. He had numerous challenges as he tried to tell the good news of Jesus. And in Philippians 1, he writes this letter to the church in Philippi. And he could have said something like this. He might have written this. He's there in prison. It's all gone very wrong. His circumstances are not what he'd hoped for. He could have written this. Philippians 1, 12 to 14. Now, I want you to know this, brothers and sisters, that what's happened to me is not fair. <laughs> I've been arrested. I've been beaten. I've been bitten by a snake, shipwrecked. And now I'm in prison in Rome and I've had enough. Get someone else to write the New Testament. <laughs> I'm leaving my connect group and I'm never going back to church ever again. No, 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 no. And off he goes. He didn't write that in case you weren't too sure. And I'm sorry I've just kind of messed with your understanding of the Bible. He didn't write that. What Paul wrote, bl wrote blows my mind because he was not just under house arrest, he was chained to a guard for eight hours a day, then they would change the guard for another one. And instead of writing a whining, moaning, complaining, this is not fair, do you know what I've been through? He writes this to Philippians 1 verse 12. And I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me has helped to spread the good news. Mm. Oh, there's a positive thought. For everyone here, everyone here, has helped, uh, including the whole palace guard, knows that I'm in chains because of Christ. Everyone knows. How do they know? Paul told them. And because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. Wow. The gospel is being spread further because Paul's in chains. He's saying, I may be in chains, but because of this, the whole guard knows, the whole palace guard knows, and all the brothers and sisters who follow Jesus are now even more bold than they were before. They're more courageous because of what I've gone through. And, and, and here's a funny thought for you. Paul was actually chained to a Roman guard for eight hours a day. Now, you could think he was a prisoner. Or you could think, here's reframing gone crazy, I've now got a captive audience. <laughs> this Roman guard is attached to my chains for the next eight hours. He can't go anywhere. I'm going to tell him all about the good news of Jesus Christ because he can't leave me for another seven and a half hours. That's talk about changing and reframing the way we think. He saw it differently and then he used his time wisely. He didn't think, well, I'm going to sit here and mope around. He wrote four letters, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians and Philemon, four letters that ended up in the New Testament of the Bible that has benefited generations for 2,000 years because he used his time much more wisely than moaning about the circumstance he found himself in. Wow, what a concept. The way we think changes how we see. If we can change how we see, we change how we live. Yeah. Get that again? The way we think changes how we see. If we can change how we see, we change how we live. Your thought life will change your actual life. So I need to wrap this up because we're running out of time, but how do we say no to negativity? Here are three different ways that I want to put to you that can transform your negative thinking. How can we win this war within, the battle for your mind? Firstly, this. Be thankful to God 
for what didn't happen. Yeah. Yeah. For what didn't happen. We're all we're very good for thanking God for what has happened. But let's be thankful what didn't happen. 1 Thessalonians 5 says, be thankful in all circumstances. It doesn't say be thankful when it goes well and goes your way. It doesn't say be thankful when the relationship works out and there's money in the bank. He says be thankful in all circumstances. Every disappointment is an opportunity to learn. Every relationship that didn't work out, go, right, what can I learn to be better next time? You know, Maybe things haven't worked out. Maybe you didn't get promotion, but you still got the job. Maybe you were in an accident and your car's damaged, but you're still, you walked away from it and you are still alive and well. No one got hurt. The perspective changes. You know, yesterday I, I played rugby for the first time in three years. Can I say this? I'm very thankful. We, we won, so I'm thankful. I'm, but I'm more thankful that I didn't get hurt. All right? And so are my family. I'm thankful for what didn't happen. And are we people who are thankful to God for what didn't happen? That's the first thing. And that's something you have to, you train your mind to think differently. Can I be thankful to God for what didn't happen? And then secondly, to pre-decide, to pre-decide how you're going to view things. This is like a, this is really powerful. If you can pre-decide what you think your day is going to look like, it will change everything. To pre-decide how you're going to view things. Proverbs 3 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't lean on your own understanding. Because I can hear you shouting at me now, you don't understand, Sim, what I have to deal with. I don't. I don't understand what you're going through. I don't understand what you're uh, having to manage with. But don't depend on your own understanding. Trust in the Lord. Say, God, you are with me and you are for me. And so I'm pre-deciding today is going to be a good day. I'm pre-deciding this meeting I'm going to have is going to be a good meeting. I'm pre-deciding when I take my children to church today, it's going to be a great morning of celebrating God in the presence with his people. I'm pre-deciding that when I go and see a friend I've not seen for a long time, it's going to be the best time we've ever had together. I'm pre-deciding when I spend time with family over Christmas, it won't be like it was like last year. It's going to be great. And we can't wait for it to happen. I'm pre-deciding this will go well. So that's the second thing. Pre-decide how you're going to view things. And thirdly, look for God's goodness in the everyday. Look for God's goodness. Philippians 4 says, fix your thoughts on what is true, honourable, right, pure, lovely, admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Look for God's goodness. Let me tell you something. It's amazing what you can find if you look for it. It's incredible. Here's a great example. All right, two birds. All right, the vulture and the hummingbird. Audience participation here. What does the vulture look for? Dead. Dead. Vultures look for dead things. And here's the amazing thing, because they're still with us today. Vultures find what they're looking for. They're looking for the dead. They find it. What does a hummingbird look for? Food. Okay, they look for honey or they look for nectar, sweet things. And what do hummingbirds find? Sweet, sweet things. things. <laughs> it's amazing. Two birds looking for two different things. They both find exactly what they're looking for. If you are looking for something positive, if you're looking for God's goodness, I tell you, you will find it more often than if you're not looking for it. So I challenge you to look for God's goodness in the every day. It's amazing. If you are looking for problems, you will find them every single time. If you're looking for challenges, you will find them every time. If you're looking to be offended, go on Twitter. You'll be offended really quickly. It's incredible what you can find if you look for it. But I want to say to you, if you look for God's goodness in the everyday, it will change the way you see the world around you. It will change your thinking. Get the band up. Come on, guys. We need to wrap this up really quickly. If you are looking for God, he is here ready and waiting. He wants to renew your mind. 
He wants to help you take every thought captive. He wants you to be like Joshua and Caleb and see the possibility. He wants you to be like Paul and to use your circumstances for good. Your God is the God that says, Paul says in Romans 8, if God is for us, who can be against us? That's the story. And if God is for us, we don't need to be negative thinking people because God is the God of good news. As Christians, we don't celebrate all right news, bad news, okay news. We celebrate the King of Kings, not just an okay King, average King. He is good news and we celebrate who God is. The same God who works all things to good for those who love him is the God who is with us and for us. It's not just about putting on a new filter. A new pair of lenses are reframing the world around you. That's helpful, but it's encountering Jesus that changes everything. When you see the world through Jesus, how Jesus sees the world, it changes everything. We can look back and we can look back at the last year and we can go, ah, oh, isn't it been terrible? You know, I can look back and I can say, yeah, last year I, I wrote this book and I had plans Simply Church and I, and I was hoping that it would, you know, we'd be able to sell it and tell people about it and present it at various events. None of that happened and I could moan about it all day long. I could talk about the fact we had to change the way we did church. We couldn't gather all in one place and it was frustrating to be able to have to be separated from one another, watching online in our homes and not in one place. I could talk about whether, you know, the, the racial tensions we faced last year as, as, a, as a nation are still are grappling with. We talk about the political divide, Brexit. Oh, yeah, there's a pandemic. We could talk and moan all day long. Or we can say, my God is faithful. We could say, my God is faithful. And I'm choosing, I'm choosing to look back and be thankful for what God has taken me through. I'm going to be thankful for what didn't happen rather than moan about what did happen. I can look out for his goodness in the everyday all around me. I can do something. I know that God has done something in me through this last season that he wouldn't have done if we hadn't gone through what we went through. And I'm thankful. I'm choosing to be thankful for that. And I've pre-decided, Freedom Church, I've pre-decided that next year's going to be a great year. I've pre-decided that God's got some plans for us and we are working on some stuff that I'd love to tell you about right now, but they're not fully formed. But I'm pre-deciding that they're going to be really good. We're going to find ways of gathering together all together. We're going to work on that. We're going to find ways to, to help one another, to learn to follow Jesus better. And I'm pre-deciding that that's going to be a really good experience. Here's my last final thought before I hand over to the band. Do not interpret the goodness of God through your circumstances. Don't interpret the goodness of God through your circumstances because otherwise your understanding of God will go up and down in line with your emotions and your thoughts. Instead, interpret your circumstances through the goodness of God. Look through God as your lens at all that's going on around you. You know that line from that song, I dare not trust the sweetest frame. That's our earthly possessions, our family, our finances, our future. We don't trust the sweetest frame, the thing that seems good to us, but we wholly trust in Jesus' name. That's what we do. We cannot control what happens to us, but we can control how we see it, how we respond to it. You can say no to negativity. Say yes to seeing things the way that Jesus sees things. Let's be thankful people. Let me pray. I invite you to stand where you are watching, whether you're in locations or at home, here in the studio. Let me pray for us. Could you take a moment to hold your hands out and just receive what God's got for you? I believe that there's some opportunity here for people to encounter a fresh revelation of what the good news of Jesus really means, to change our thinking. Let's pray.
Thank you so much, God, for your mercy, for not giving us what we deserve. We are thankful for what we didn't get. <laughs> we are thankful we didn't get, even though we deserve it. Lord, I pray you would help each one of us to take captive every thought and pre-decide it's going to be a good day today, whatever our circumstances, and look for the signs of your goodness that are there all around us. Lord, may we be a community that says no to negativity and actually reflects your extravagant love to the world around us. Thank you, God, that you loved us first. Help us to share that love with others in the best possible way to express you, the father of good news, the father of life in all its fullness. We put our hope and our trust in you. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. If there are some things that have come up today you want to get prayer for, please do get in touch or speak to the guys who are leading your location. I know they would love to offer ministry there and prayer. Let's see our lives transformed to become more like him in our everyday activities. God bless you. Thank you so much for being with us. For more information about Freedom Church, please go to www.freedomchurch.uk. Thank you for listening.